This was a series of sermons preached by Aaron Hale at Riverside Bible Camp in the summer of 2023. The theme verse for the week was from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're going to turn this evening to the very beginning of the Bible. And uh, so far we've just done a little bit of introduction and then this morning we looked at what is the Bible. what, what is it? What is so special about this book that we call the Bible or the Holy Bible? Uh, we saw that it is, yes, written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,600 years, and yet this is a unique book because it is breathed out by God that holy men, as the uh, answer tells us, wrote it as they were taught by the Holy Spirit. And so it's a book like none other. And uh, we spent some time looking at that this morning. So. I want to just read for you uh, some verses from Genesis 1, and you may be thinking, well, what does this have to do with saved by grace? Aren't we going to get to the part when Jesus comes and he he dies upon the cross and rises from the grave, and and isn't that, you know, what we're going to be talking about? And and yes, that is absolutely what we we continually uh, come back to, but our chance that we won't feel the need for that parachute. And so... I'm praying that God would help us to to better see uh, who we are in the world that he's made and that we would see God himself more clearly. So we're going to start Genesis 1, verse 1, and uh, you can follow along with me. So here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And so it was. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit, trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. 
And it was so, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them and saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply upon the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so, and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And so we have the very first chapter of the Bible, which is the creation account. And I'm sure many of you are quite familiar uh, with this Genesis account. Now, I personally love uh, origin stories. Um, you guys have any favorites? origin stories or uh, maybe movie that you've recently enjoyed, anything that comes to mind. What I mean by origin story is something that, where it tells the, the, the beginnings of something. So maybe, for example, I love uh, Lord of the Rings. And of course, with five boys, we tend to enjoy a lot of Lord of the Rings. If anything comes out about Lord of the Rings, probably going to watch it, probably going to read it if I have time to hear about, you know, where did Gandalf come from? Where did the orcs come from? When did they turn evil? And all of these sort of things. How about you guys? Any? Yeah? Warrior cats? Yeah. I think you've had some points in that. Yeah, sure. Yeah? Um, the Green Amber series. Oh, okay. Yeah. We've read some of the Green Amber series. Nice. Yeah, there's some good stories out there. 
Sure. Batman Begins. Batman Begins, we got Batman's origin story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm sure there's lots of you into the Marvel series, Star Wars, right? All of these stories, they, 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 they tell a backstory of where did this come from? I don't know if any of you watched, um, I got to watch with the boys the Mario, the new Mario movie. Did you guys watch that one? I mean, I still have the Peaches song playing in the back of my mind. It's like a strange form of torture, right? And uh, I had to connect with Mario because, of course, he's a plumber, right? And so I was uh, you know, doing plumbing. So here's like this plumber superhero who uh, takes on the evil Bowser, right? And you get to hear about how did he get into the, the world. Um, so, you know, we, we as a culture are quite fascinated, actually, with origin stories. But have you ever considered your own origin story? Or have you actually stopped and considered where we have come from? Like, why are we here? What, what is our purpose? Where did this all start? And there are many uh, theories out there today. Some of them are actually very depressing and very hopeless. For example, an atheist who is no longer living, uh, Richard Dawkins, he held to the view of the Darwinian theory of evolution that we just kind of uh, accidentally came onto the scene through a big bang and just the evolving of of space dust over time and, and you know kind of this primordial ooze that we have come out of and, and he held this to be our origin story. And listen to what he said. This is his uh, this is his take on the world in which we live and it's it's very sad. He said in a universe of electrons and and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic um, genetic replication some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe, he says, has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. So he's looking at the world through a Darwinian lens, and he's saying, I think all of this is an accident. I think all of this is just the, the result of random uh, process of evolution. And he's just looking at it like, really? They're at the very bottom of all of this? There is no design. There is no purpose. There is actually no such thing as evil. There is no such thing as good. It's nothing but pitiless indifference. And sadly, a lot of these men actually, at the end of their life, they, they go mad. Or some of them end up taking their own life because they are so engulfed in a view of hopelessness. But I want to suggest to you that the Word of God gives us a very different picture. And I believe the Word of God gives us the true picture as to where we have come from. This is your origin story. This is my origin story. This is all of ours. In fact, everything that we look at, everything that we, we touch, we feel, we hear the rain, we hear the thunder, we see the trees, this is telling us where it has come from. Now, you may choose to accept that or not, but it does not change the fact that it's the truth. I'm certainly convinced it is the truth. And this evening, we certainly uh, we don't have time to, to look at all of the various aspects of this creation account. Um, but I want to encourage you, uh, once again, that the Bible 
does in fact answer life's most difficult questions. Sometimes we have to search for them, sometimes we have to do the hard work of, of studying and thinking and asking people and reading and praying and asking God to give us insight, but it does actually answer the question as to why is there something instead of nothing? What is our purpose here? What is good? What is evil? Is there a difference between male and female? Does that matter? Is there life after death? You see, I think the, the Word of God answers these questions. And God wants you to know because He has given us this book so that we might also know. And so this evening what I want to do is just look at... And actually, what time do we have to be open? I don't know whether we have a... Okay, good, yeah. <laughs> Give or take an hour. <laughs> okay, all right. I'll try to be... Uh, uh, let's not so what I want to do is just in light of our, our passage here that I read, and we're going to look a bit at this uh, tomorrow as well, because I want to spend some time looking just at the implications of Genesis 1 uh, in regards to the person of God himself. What do we learn of God himself? And then tomorrow, uh, Lord willing, I want to look specifically at the creation of man and woman, because I hope you noticed as I read, there's, there's something unique going on when God makes the man and woman from the rest of all the creation. So I want to look at that some tomorrow. But this evening, I just want to look at a few implications in regards to God himself. What do we learn about God? Now, we use the, the name God. Uh, now, this was originally written in Hebrew, and I, I had not learned Hebrew. In fact, if I could go back over and do everything again, I would have forced myself to learn Hebrew and, and more thoroughly learn Greek, because those are the languages that the Bible is written in. And so we have a translation, which means sometimes it's hard for us to really understand what the original words meant, but the, the word that is used here in Genesis 1 is Elohim, and uh, this is a word that denotes power. It is, it is one of the, the names we see used for God in the scriptures. And it just translates over as God. And you'll sometimes see in the Bible, uh, for example, you may see the Lord God, which is another word which becomes the covenant name of God, Yahweh, uh, when God encounters Moses, I am that I am. And so it's sometimes we, we miss these things in the English translation. But we clearly see that there's reference to this being. This being that we refer to as God. Now, uh, I have my question mark here for you. Let's see if uh, you guys can get this question. Um, are there more gods than one? No. Okay. And you know the rest of the answer? First part is no. Kind of just repeating. Um, okay, we'll get to that. Uh, the answer is just uh, no, there is only one God. So if you just kind of repeat the question. But that's good. So I have some more million dollar bills here for you guys. <laughs> and Charles Spurgeon's face on the front. So on the back is the million dollar question. Can you pass it? Thank you. All right, good job. So, no, there is only one God. So that is the first implication that I want to look at for a few moments with you. As we consider this account in Genesis, first of all, we see that there is only one God. So Christianity is a religion. We believe in one God, so that means we are monotheistic. Mono being one, theism, theistic is just reference to God himself. 
there are many polytheistic uh, religions in the world that believe there are many gods. In fact, some religions, like for example, I tend to pick on the, the Mormon religion, but actually they, they, they come across as monotheistic, but really when pressed, Joseph Smith, founder of Mormonism, believed in an almost infinite number of gods because they believed that we ourselves would become gods and we would inhabit planets and we would kind of redo this whole thing over. So it's very important to understand that there is one true God. That is foundational to the Christian faith. And something that the uh, Jewish children would say daily, which uh, is in, in Deuteronomy 6, and it was referred to as the Shema, which is because it starts with this call, Moses writing to the people, he uh, calls them to, to hear, hear, O Israel. And in Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. So foundational to the, the, the faith of the Hebrew people, the covenant people of God in the Old Testament, was the, the reality that God is one. And we see that right here in Genesis, this reference to one being, God who is one, who has created all that we see, who has created us. And if you want to just uh, grab your Bible, go way over to the New Testament for a moment. I want you to see something about uh, the way that this carries over into the New Testament. Um, Acts 17, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts, right after the, uh, the, uh, the Gospels. Acts 17 and verse 22. I love this passage. This is one of those that I could just uh, read over and over again. I think it's incredible because what we have in this scene is we have Paul the Apostle. So Paul who was formerly named Saul, was a, a former Israelite, a Hebrew. He was a Pharisee. He was one of the guys that Jesus was always calling out. I'm not Saul specifically, but he was of that group, the religious leaders, the elite, the, the guys who had all the answers to the Bible questions. But he did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. And so Jesus, as Paul was on his way to actually imprison Christians, Jesus encounters him. Some of you know the story on the road to Damascus, and he reveals himself to Saul. He's like, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who are you? I don't even know who you are. And he's like, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And, and his entire life is transformed, and he goes from a persecutor of the church to one of the greatest missionaries of the gospel. And Jesus tells Paul, or Saul, before his name is changed to Paul, uh, he tells him, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles, to all those nations who are not Israel, and you're going to preach the gospel to them, and you're going to suffer greatly. So here in Acts 17, Paul is coming into the town of Athens. Now Athens, it, they're not a, a Bible-believing city. They, 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 they in fact have many so-called gods that they worship. Uh, so uh, verse 22, I'm just going to pick up there. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. So here's this town, Athens. They've got all of these 
so-called gods all throughout their city, all of these idols that they worship, and they're, they're concerned that they may have missed one, so they just make another statue, and on it it says, to the unknown god. Like, just in case we we're missing some god out there we don't know about, we're going to worship that as well. So they're very religious. And Paul goes on to say then to them, um, in verse, okay, the second part of uh, verse 23. So, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Now listen to what he does. He's, he's going to proclaim to them the gospel. He's, he's, he's bringing the, to these unbelievers something of God. And listen to where he goes in his sermon. He goes in verse 24, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He's actually not far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So here's Paul in this pagan town. They do not believe in God. They have many gods. And he takes them right back to Genesis 1, he points out to them that God, the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of them, actually the one, he says, in whom you live and have your being. What does that mean? It means God himself is sustaining all of you. The reason that my heart keeps beating is because God is sustaining me. The reason my lungs keep breathing air is because God is sustaining me. The reason that gravity is, is a constant ongoing law, uh, that God is sustaining it. We don't just live in this kind of watch that God created and wound up and is just letting it unwind. No, actually Hebrews 1 tells us that by the word of his power, Christ upholds the universe. So we see that God is one. Now, within that, we also see something else very interesting. So you can flip back to Genesis 1. We'll probably keep, keep a finger in Genesis or Acts 17 if you want. Too late, prior to flip back. But um, we may go back there for just a minute. Um, so we see that God is one, but also within Genesis 1, we see something else that is very interesting. We see that within this one being, who is God, there is a plurality of persons. And this become, this gets very mysterious to us because you have to remember, we're talking about a being who is unlike us, a being who is eternal, who has brought everything into existence. And so he's not like us in every way. We reflect him somewhat, but in a small way. Uh, how many of you have kicked open a, an ant and, uh, and watched the, yeah, we've all done that. Uh, I was working on our 
property there with the, the bobcat, and there's this massive anthill, and I couldn't resist but drive the bucket into the anthill, I know it's terrible, and split it in half, and then watch that all of the ants go crazy, there's eggs and drones flying, and I was like, maybe I find the queen in there. But um, it's incredible, but could you imagine trying to explain to an ant something about humans? I mean, it, it would be very difficult, right? Because the, the distance between us is so vast, they're, they're very limited in what they can know and do. Well, how is God, the infinite being, going to explain to us finite creatures something of who he is? It's, there's going to be parts that we come to are like, I don't understand that. That seems weird. I, I don't get it. And this is one of those things that within the one being who is God, there is a plurality. And we find that there is not only God, who we would come to know as the Father, but there is also the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you look in verse 2 there in Genesis 1, where we read the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we have God, but now we also have this Spirit who is also in creation, working, hovering over the face of the waters. It's almost a picture of like maybe a, a, a mother bird that is hovering over her young, hovering over an egg. Maybe you've seen a, a bird that is sitting on a nest. We have chickens at home, and uh, once in a while you get a broody bird. Does anyone know what a broody bird is? The bird that decides she's going to sit on those eggs until they hatch. And it is uh, quite something to see. In fact, you try reaching in and getting those eggs, and you're going to get your hand pecked, right? Because she is brooding over these eggs. Well, this is a picture. The spirit is there. But if you let your eyes go down to verse 26, we also see something else interesting. God makes a statement before creating man. And we read... God said, let us make man in our image. Why is he talking in the plural? Let us make man in our image. Now, there's a bit of controversy on exactly what he means. Some say maybe God's referencing, or maybe he's talking to the angels who are already created. We don't really know exactly when the angels were made. Um, but I'm convinced that this is actually another indication that within the one being who is God, there is a plurality. There is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, while we know God is one, uh, the other question that I have is, in how many persons does this one God exist? And uh, there's another question. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, in three persons. And can you name the three persons, which kind of are Alright, thank you. So that's in your questions there too. And this is what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. And it's mysterious, I agree. But this is how God has revealed himself. And it becomes clearer and clearer as we go through the scriptures how these three persons who are God are all operating in the story of redemption. I know that I'm running out of time and it's People think maybe creatures sometimes wonder what to say. Actually, it's more the, the question of what not to say. So, okay, a little bit more. Okay, so we'll go on to a little bit more here. Um, so we see that God is one. We see that within this one God, there is a plurality of persons. Now, we also see from Genesis 1 here, an implication about the person of God, is that God himself is eternal. Now we're talking about the attributes of God. He is eternal. What does that mean? It means he does not have a beginning. And this also sets God apart from all of the creation. Uh, there was a time when scientists held a view called the steady state theory when they believed that matter was eternal. 
In fact, as far as I understand, Einstein himself held to this view. And it became apparent in time as, as research developed and it became you know, more about the universe, more about matter, like, no, it can't be eternal. This definitely had a starting point. So the, the, the steady state theory was abandoned and, and in its place Darwin came with his theory of evolution. But we find that the only eternal one is God himself. And this is another implication of Genesis 1. God is eternal. He does not have a beginning. He is the one who has brought everything into existence. You and I have a beginning. All of these trees outside have a beginning. The grass, the clouds, the dirt had a point in which it came into existence. God is the eternal one. Scriptures affirm this over and over. Psalm 90 verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. Isaiah in Isaiah 57 says, God inhabits eternity. That's an incredible thought. God inhabits eternity. He was there millions of years before anything was brought into existence. And He is the only eternal one. That's another implication. A third implication, which is obvious, is that God is the Creator, and therefore He owns everything. That's an implication of Genesis 1. God Himself is the Creator. He's the designer. He's the author. He's the composer, if you will. And so because He's made it, he owns it all. I remember as a, a kid, I loved Legos. In fact, I still love Legos. And I'm a little sad that now that my boys are growing older, that my Legos have kind of been um, divided up between them. And I really don't have any Legos left anymore. Uh, you know, I used to have these like, cool dragons and knights and castles. And they've kind of taken over my Legos. And I think lots of them are probably buried outside in the sandbox somewhere. But I remember the feeling of making something, right? You, you build something, and it's like, this is mine. I created it. I built it. And my brother or my sister, they're not allowed to touch it. They're not allowed to play with it because I made it, and it's mine. Well, God created everything, and therefore he is the owner and the author. And this is what Paul said to the people of Athens. In him we live and move and have our being. In Psalm 50, verse 10, God says, Every beast is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the, all the birds of the hill, and all that moves in the field is mine. So, yes, you have a, a mom and dad, and you, in a sense, belong to them. But above all else, we belong to God. All things belong to Him. And we also see as an implication here, and there's of course many more we could talk about, not only is God the creator and the owner, but also God is alone the self-sufficient one. What does that mean? It means God is not dependent on anything or anyone for his existence. And he alone is the one being who this is true of. I mean, try holding your breath. How long can you hold your breath? Someone can maybe go, I don't know, a minute? Maybe two? After about three or four minutes, you're probably going to pass out. You could die if you hold your breath too long, right? We are a dependent people. We need food. You can only go a very short time without water, and we die. We are dependent. God is self-sufficient. 
And this is what Paul said also in Acts 7. He's not served by human hands as though he needed anything. He doesn't dwell in, in temples made by hands. He's the self-sufficient, eternal God of the universe. And just as we close then this evening, I want you to turn over to John 1. Sometimes I think of John as the genesis of the New Testament. And uh, does anyone know what genesis means? Yeah? Beginning. Yeah, it just means the beginning. So the book of Genesis is the beginning. The book of beginnings. Now in John 1, um, listen to what how John opens his letter. And I think what you're going to see are some immediate parallels with Genesis 1. Now, I don't know if any of you probably experienced watching television on the old, uh, you know, tube-style TVs. You've probably all grown up in the era of L, you know, the LEDs and L, L, all the plasma TVs and all these things, right? You've all the, the high-tech televisions. Um, well, when I was growing up, we had to actually we had this antenna that was mounted up on the roof of mom and dad's house, and this was how we got our reception for a television. And, and once in a while, the wind would blow it, and so one of us would have to go up onto the roof, you know, rain or shine, because if mom wanted to watch Dr. Quinn or whatever it was, you know, we had to get this thing working. So often I'd be the one volunteering to go up on the roof, and someone would be downstairs yelling out the window as I turned this thing, and yeah, it's a little clearer, I can almost see a picture, and then it's like, okay, you'll move it, and then you kind of come down and hope that it stays so you can see the picture. Well, in a way, as we look at the Old Testament, it's something like a unclear picture. It's there, and it's, it's, it's evident. But as we move to the New Testament, the picture becomes clearer and clearer and clearer until we read now in high definition. Uh, it's even better than... I can't even keep up with the definition, it's not available. 5K, I don't even know what that means. But uh, the best definition you can get as we read in the Gospels. So listen to what John says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then you jump down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we've all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. And so in Christ, we have the person of God made flesh now in high definition. And so as you come to read specifically the Gospels, but then in the New Testament who explains the Gospels, you come to understand who this God is in a clear way. The same God, we're told, who created all things. Jesus himself, the Word, was there. And actually, John says, all things were made through him, through Christ the Son. There's nothing that was made that was not made by him. And the same way that on day one we have God speaking light into the darkness of the empty void that was not yet formed, 
John picks up on that and he says, in Christ, in the new creation that he has established, in his coming, in his death, in his resurrection, he comes as the light, as a new creation for those who turn from their sin, those who turn from their rebellion against God and believe upon Christ, they are then joined into a new kind of creation that will one day be evident as this creation that we now live in will melt away and there will be a new heavens and a new earth where Christ himself is the light of men. And that is the day we are still waiting for. And so I pray that you um, develop an appetite, a, a desire to know this God. Yes, he is different. Yes, it can be overwhelming. Yes, it can be intimidating. Maybe he seems very distant. Read through the Gospel of John and ask yourself, who is this God? What is he like? How does he treat the, the religious hypocrite? What does he say to the the sick widow who, who's tried every other option in the world and she's given up. But what does he say to the woman caught in adultery who's about to be stoned to death? Read. Study. Get to know this God. Let's pray. And uh, Father, we thank you for uh, this evening. And Lord, I uh, just pray that your word would truly um, just be living and active among us, Lord, that you would Help us to, to see you through your word. Lord, we know that uh, it is difficult to walk by faith and not by sight, to understand you who are infinitely higher than us, who are mysterious in your ways, who are unique in, in your being, you who are three and yet one. Our minds can't comprehend that. And, and yet I pray that you would be pleased to stoop down uh, to us, and to reveal yourself to these young people. Lord, that we may know you as the one true God. We may know you as the eternal one, as our creator and the one who, who owns us. Lord, that we would know you as the one who is self-sufficient and that we might see you clearly in the face of Jesus Christ as you've revealed him to us. I pray this now in Jesus' name. shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my hand. I cried aloud to the Lord, and He answered me from His holy hand. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Tune in next time, and we'll see what happens as our story continues. Remember, if you would like to write to us or find out more information, you can find us online at www.kidsway.ca. And don't forget to head over to www.soulmusic.ca to find many more songs that Jamie Souls has written and recorded. See you next time. May God bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you.